Content warning. This episode of No Gods, No Monsters touches on potentially triggering topics, including substance use and sexual assault. How could somebody misfile something? What could be easier? It's all alphabetical. You just put it in the right file, according to alphabetical order. You know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z! a Nicolas Cage vampire movie. Thank God we did. But if you could pick him to play a monster in one other movie, which kind of monster would you pick? Oh, that's a really good question. Oh, man. That's a powerful start. Uh, I think Ooh. I would have him play uh, Frankenstein's monster, but the sexy I Frankenstein monster from the, the the 2000s action uh, I Frankenstein movie. Nice. Never saw it. Uh, I also never saw it, but I, <laughs> I do want to see Nicolas Cage portrayed as like a sexy, hot uh, <laughs> corpse boy. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Charlie? Oh, man. Um, I think he could really do something neat with either a werewolf or um uh dr jekyll and mr hyde type of thing which he even talks about uh in the commentary to this he talks about how he talks about uh, watching the original nasratu but then he also talks about there was uh john barrymore starring uh, dr jekyll and mr hyde before that which uh also was he was kind of influenced by yeah Um, yeah. i think just like the idea of some kind of transformation i think is just uh something he that's really good it's great My, yeah mine mine 1, is werewolf percent. for sure i want a nick cage werewolf movie so bad i i, I just can't that transformation damn. scene would just be gold mm-hmm. i would love it even better if ultimately nothing really changed <laughs> like you know he's like <laughs> you know having the whole freak out you know and then they just never add the special effects yes. so it's just like you know maybe they've got like some hair well, glued on his cheeks or something it's like oh i must uh, k- kill uh, that's i'm a werewolf Rave. i'm a werewolf so vampires kiss but like werewolves kiss yeah. like every one yeah. of them he just yeah. thinks he's it werewolves oh, kiss good. uh we basically sequel. just make yeah uh, well, he survived this. That's the, it's a it's a soft reboot, and okay. we start with him in a hospital, and they're they're suction cupping the the spike out of him, and then they're like, we managed to save him with the power of modern medicine, uh, but we we accidentally put a little bit of wolf blood in you, and then he's like, I'm a werewolf. Wait, we could have a movie between those. That's the Doctor Frankenstein idea, but it's like oh, Doctor yes. Frankenstein is like, we made a monster out of spare parts. All of the spare parts were from Nicholas Cage. They're just from Nick's, Nick Cage. <laughs> Various. Oh, that would be okay. So it's it's Nick Cage from different eras, you know. So you have his Con Air <laughs> hairline, you know, and then like you have like his 
like his, you know, uh, like his legs from Ghost Rider. You got like, you know, just like all those different parts of different movies put together, you know? His left arm is trying so hard to adapt the Orchid Thief, but his right arm needs to steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> uh, All right. Those are great ideas. Uh, well, welcome to No Gods, No Monsters. We're the anti-capitalist kaiju and monster movie podcast in a world where no one's coming to save us. I'm Rabbit, here with Charlie, and today we are so stoked to have as our guest Rob from the Tokyo Lives podcast and Tokyo Signals. Rob, thank you so much for being here. I'm so thrilled. When you guys said you were doing Mandy, I immediately like pinged you with like a like just a cat like a list of thoughts about Nick Cage. <laughs> I, I don't want to claim that like I'm an expert on Nick Cage, but like back when like that era of like making like projector like slides for like, you know, like parties where it's like, oh, here's like a subject that I'm really excited about. I did a whole thing on like Nick Cage and neo shamanism. <laughs> So I got very, very, yeah. very excited when I saw you guys were doing that. And then when you asked me to yeah. do Vampire's Kiss, I said, oh, yeah, sure. That sounds good. <laughs> that, yeah, I didn't remember. Is this one that you had decided on or um, was that just like – because this was between you two. Did you bring that up or uh, – I was uh, looking for a monster movie because, um, Rob, you hit us up to do Mandy and we would have been stoked. But it was like two hours before we were recording and we were oh, like, yes. oh, we're already doing that. So um, I was just trying to find a monster movie with him. And I looked at this one. And I was like, I don't know. Like, it's old. Is he going to be wild? Like, I just thought, oh, whatever. Maybe we'll get a little Nick Cage. And little did I know what oh, I was doing. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I had, um, I've seen like super clips on YouTube of these, like <laughs> since like 15 years ago or something. Um, and I always just assumed it was like a horrible <laughs> horror movie. Um, but it's actually just a black comedy character study yeah. of, and it's, it's actually, I think it's, 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 it's a solid movie. Yeah. I don't think it's a bad movie at all. Definitely. It's, um, it's definitely I was pretty surprised by. I, I think and I I mean, you know, I'm going to speak the praises of this movie as we go on, but like the the clips do not do the totality of this movie justice because there's just no. so much happening here. There's so so many layers to like absorb from the narrative and from like this just like it, like slow slide into insanity. It's so good. Not even slow. Yeah, and immediate. <laughs> and with just the clips, yeah, you get the impression that like, oh, Nick Cage is this is just Nick Cage being like a horrible over the top actor or something. Yeah. But like in the context of the movie, it kind of makes more sense, and it doesn't make complete sense because he's not going for a naturalistic style of portraying the character. Yeah. But it's still, it works in the movie, in my opinion. Oh, 100%. I know a lot of people disagree with that, but yeah. Uh, Do you have a favorite Nick Cage movie? Oh my god! Uh, I to like land on just one is so hard. Uh, yeah, I know. I because like I I mean, raising Arizona is such a classic. Like it just like sticks out to me as like such a like That's... just a like good movie without necessarily yeah. being like a good Nick Cage movie. I think my favorite Nick Cage movie uh in the kind of like current zeitgeist of Nick Cage doing like campy action films is honestly Ghost Rider Two. Where they like just told Nick Cage like turn into a demon, be crazy, and they just literally put the camera in front of him for multiple like scenes throughout the movie where he gets to just like scream and freak out at the movie. 
Uh, <laughs> damn, it's so funny. Uh, I don't think stuff. I knew there was a Ghost Rider too. That's Infinitely a... better than the first like, one. It's like a I've road never trip seen either movie. of them. But... I'm pretty sure you and I saw the first one in theaters. No, I've never seen Ghost Rider. I no, you we saw it in theaters. Uh-huh. What? Uh, to be fair, <laughs> extremely forgettable. Yeah, the coolest scene. I don't remember in the whole anything movie. about it, but I do remember seeing it. With you I guys. can't. There's no way I've seen that movie. The there's coolest no scene in the whole movie. movie is there's a, a cowboy ghostwriter, and he's like, oh, I've got one last transformation in me. Played by uh, <laughs> the mustache, Sam... Uh, Harris? Uh, no. no. What's his um, name? The, the, from Adams. The, Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski uh, guy, yeah. Uh, uh, Tuck uh, it. Uh, Uncle well, Sam. He'll come back to me. But he's yeah. like, I got one last transformation in me, son. I'm going to do it just to, just to help you out. And he turns into a fiery cowboy ghost rider and you're like yeah and then he <laughs> races to where the final boss is and then goes all right goodbye and then he transforms into a human and dies <laughs> he just leaves the movie and it's like wait what <laughs> i mean it sounds like a monster movie that we can do sometime <laughs> uh, technically yeah well what about you rabbit what's your do you have a favorite nick cage movie I mean, it's a boring answer, but it's adaptation just because that's one of my favorite movies. God, that's Um, a good one, too. He does an actually very good naturalistic approach in that. Like, he's awesome. And which shows that just, like, he can do whatever he wants. He just chooses to be fucking apeshit all the time, which is awesome. Have I ever told our adaptation acid trip story on the podcast? I don't know. Should I tell it? Sure. Uh, Yeah. Do you remember it? I remember... All I remember... It, oh yeah, no, I remember it. It gets <laughs> okay, dark. So, <laughs> oh no, his his uh, name of that movie is Charlie. That's important. Okay, um, yeah. <laughs> so we were all we we moved into uh into a place together. There were four of us. Um, one of our roommates, his uh cousin from France, was visiting, and we all did acid together, except for the cousin, because uh, he doesn't do drugs or whatever. Um. He didn't really speak English, so our roommate had to uh, translate a lot of stuff for him, which became really more difficult the more and more uh, the acid hit. Uh, anyways, we were trying to find a movie to watch together, and for some reason we chose on adaptation. My fault. And, uh, oh, my God. <laughs> which starts, by the way, all I remember from that is it starts with that terrifying voiceover of a neurotic person being like yeah did she look into me do i look okay Paul? like whatever and already i saw everybody like tensing Huge up Huge mistake <laughs> i cannot comprehend the level of whoopsitude on this one yeah Wait, i did i, I, I think did part of it adaptation on ketamine the other day it was great but anyway <laughs> much better i think than part us. of it i think i'm guessing it had french subtitles because i think we we're looking for a movie with french subtitles or something. <laughs> okay <laughs> i could be wrong but i seem to remember that um, anyways, so our roommate, he was already kind of a bad place having to translate the, during the, his entire trip, but then like, he just started losing it more and more. And all of a sudden he just like started jumping up and running to the door. Um, and we were on like a major street and he like, like try to like open the door and run out and he would just do this over and over. Yeah. He and was me caught in and a rabbit loop. here. Oh, yeah. He was yeah. on a loop and me and rabbit here had to hold him back yeah. and he would be like screaming like, no, no, my dad's coming. My dad's coming. And then, like, we got him, like, to go in his room, I think. But then he would still come out of his room and run to the door. And we just, we had to use, like, all of our force. And he was a little guy. Yeah. Not much muscle. But 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 after, like, we were taking turns and it was a lot. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but he thought things were and, happening to you because the guy was named Charlie. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, what no. happened? I think originally it was like he saw his dad coming or something and uh, seeing we were tripping or something. But then it started evolving to me. And he started being like, Charlie, no. And then he'd like try to run out. And he's just screaming like, Charlie, no. No, don't do it. Don't do it. And then oh, man. I guess I found out later that he had this vision of me coming into the door running upstairs to my room and shooting myself in the head. And I think the reason why is because in adaptation, his name's Charlie. And there's like, there's a scene where like a, an ambulance comes and the sirens are going off. And I think that just kind of mixed in his head. Yeah. He had the, yeah. uh, Yeah. But it was very terrifying. Um, So the lesson kids is don't do acid. (laughs) If you have to translate French. Yeah, French is the devil's exactly. language. It really puts you in a bad <laughs> headspace to think, see, or hear French when you're in a in a mentally suggestive state. You know, that's why the French do cocaine and only cocaine. Uh, yeah. Um, well, Charlie, I mean, I didn't even mention today we're talking about Vampire's Kiss. You all know that. You saw the title. It's mm. from 1988. Charlie, do you want to tell us what this movie's about? Yeah. Uh, first of all, my top three Nick Cage movies. Oh, oh yeah. Um, Thank you. Wild at Heart, because... Oh, uh, God, yeah, yeah. As a huge David Lynch person, that was just a movie I watched on repeat in my late teens, early 20s. Hell yeah. Uh, Raised in Arizona, like you said, and um, Werner Herzog was another big director for me, so his uh, Bad Lieutenant, where... Oh, yeah. uh, Cage just fucking goes off in it. It's great. Nice. Um, Anyways. (laughs) Peter Lowe is a yuppie literary agent in late 80s New York City. Incapable of entering into a long-term relationship, his loneliness is driving him crazy. One night, while getting ready to dick down director Cassie Lemons, he is interrupted by an attack from a very sexy, voluptuous, and personally speaking as a cis, straight male, quite fuckable bat. (laughs) Understandably, finding himself all horned up while fighting off the bat, this seems to mingle in his mind as he soon starts fantasizing that he is being seduced by a very sexy, voluptuous lady vampire. He begins to act out more and more and directs a lot of this insanity at a secretary named Alba, who is tasked with a difficult job of finding an old contract. After he chases her down and attacks her, Peter uses her blank-filled gun to shoot himself in the head, his survival cementing in his mind his transformation into a vampire. He then pulls a Charlie, that's me, and runs down the street yelling, (laughs) I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! Over and over. He then buys a pair of cheapy plastic vampire fangs and goes to a club where he kills director Larry Cohen's daughter by biting her neck. Then the sexy lady vampire dumps his ass, presumably because he just killed Larry Cohen's daughter, and you shouldn't do that to the director of Return to Salem's Lot. Um, as a side note, that character is played by Larry Cohen's I really thought I was going to get to I tell you that. that. and I was I, going I guess... to be so excited if that was not at all the case and you were just saying that over and over again to mess with me because I didn't no, know. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Sorry. And I can't... After I make believe... I can't right now remember what? the name of the Larry Cohen movie we did. Uh, the uh, Q. Q. Um, there we go. Okay. The Winged the Serpent. The Serpent? Yeah. That yeah. movie's so bad. I love it. That was like our fourth episode. Oh, yeah. We did um, that just a few months ago. Awesome. Yeah, okay. Nice. Sorry. Yeah. After a make-believe therapy session where he is introduced to a make-believe sweet gal, Peter seems ready to give up on his vampiric ways. Alva's brother rams a stake through his heart. The end. <laughs> the it's end. Vampire's Kiss, baby. Hell yeah. Once um, again, once again, phenomenal breakdown. 
undefeated, the king, the king of synopses. Wait, you're the king. I, we I gotta cut your head off, but... dude. I'm so oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. The <laughs> the uh, the what's a non what's a non royalty <laughs> high the, position? The, the bum. The high priest. The high priest of no, I don't know. That's not right either. Uh, he's he's got to be the some... comrade of of oh, okay. the lovable tramp. Yeah, the lovable tramp of uh, <laughs> of synopses. There we go. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, general thoughts. I mean, this is a fucking movie. What did y'all think of it? Um, well, first of all, I just want to say up top, I did watch the commentary that was recorded in, I think, 2000 between uh, with the director and Nick Cage. That sounds amazing. And it's, uh, I definitely recommend it. Um, I can't believe Nick Cage I, did a commentary. That's so awesome. I didn't. I'm not familiar with Nick Cage, like outside of his roles. Like, I've never really watched interviews with him or anything, but he seems like a pretty cool guy. Yeah. And he had a good, yeah, it was a good commentary. He had a lot to say yeah. about his acting and everything. I, I think nice. like not enough people like I, I think it's starting to change now. Like early two thousands, there was like that big wave of like, uh, how hammy, how dumb Nick Cage mm-hmm. is. And I think we had like this big zeitgeist moment where we were all just yeah. dunking on Nick Cage. He's always in so many bad movies, and it's because he's in debt and all this stuff. And I think it's because literally no one like ever like asked. We just kind of made some pretty big assumptions. It's like, yeah. then in interviews, he's like, no, I just want to work. I just love making movies. I just want to make 200 <laughs> movies. Like, I want to be like Buster Keaton. I just want to make, yeah. like, this many movies before I die. I want to be in Grindhouse Films. You know, I want to be, you know, like, I want to, who the guy from, like, uh, not Death Note. That's the anime. But, like, he just wants to do work. Yeah. Um, he he talks about how um, this came after he did Moonstruck, which was, oh, yeah. uh, which Cher, right, yeah. I think? Um, which was a big hit, and his agents were like, you can't do this movie. And he was like, nah, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, It kind of reminds me, the trajectory you were talking about, Rob, kind of reminds me of Keanu Reeves. I feel like in the same, yeah. not, the, not for the same reasons, but during that same time, everyone was like, he's the worst actor ever. And then it yeah. went to, we love this guy, and we don't really care. Yeah. Like, this is great. Yeah, yeah 100%. Um, yeah. I guess this movie, he did originally drop out after his agents told him to, yeah. and then Judd Nelson was up for the part, and then Judd Nelson dropped it into Cage. It's like fuck it, I'm gonna, I want, I really want to do that. Yeah. Movie. I'm gonna go back to it. I should, I should mention since you mentioned your sources, uh, I listened to uh, the podcast Cage's Kiss, nice. um, uh, the episode on this movie, and uh, so shout out to them. Uh, that's how I knew it was Larry Cohen's daughter. <laughs> oh, you did know that. Oh. Oh, but yeah. What, Wait, did you know that? Yeah, that's what I said earlier. Oh, okay. I thought I was the one who got to tell you that, but then you already did. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, they I know mentioned that, in the commentary. I do not forgive you. That uh, sequence is, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> as for just like feelings on the movie in general, I think it's super good. Uh, it's a really like neat, like you know, just like you can enjoy it on multiple levels. First off, it's just like a goofy horror movie. You can like enjoy it from that level. You can enjoy it like from a, like a cultural criticism level lens where you can see like these power dynamics between white dudes, you know, and they're yeah. like female employees and like the just huge amount of disrespect that they get. Um, yeah. And the power circle kind of coming around to protect and defend itself, you know, yeah. Uh, and on a psychological level, it's just like an, a really like crazy dive into this like character's brain as they kind of like shift from this like Oedipal desire to have like especially the whole ending, like talking to his uh, make believe therapist moment where he's like, 
you know, she's like giving him everything that he wants. And like, you know, she's like uh, admiring him when he's imagining his ideal scenarios. I think those are also just as beautiful as when you're seeing like the kind of real comeuppance of like the reactions to his messed up nature. Uh, it's just great. There's like so many layers that you can enjoy. And mm-hmm. the deeper you dive, the more you get out of the movie. Yeah, a lot of people compare it to American Psycho, which uh, you can definitely, there's definitely some similarities yeah. there. It's this, uh, yeah, uh, rich yuppie who uh, just loses his mind and yeah. delves into his fantasy world. Um, 100%, yeah. I, I have written here it, that it feels like a combo of American Psycho, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and The Room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's very accurate did you know that originally in the room he wanted them he wanted to be a space vampire he wanted to have like a whole what vampire sub arc where like he was gonna have to like <laughs> leave the earth afterwards because everyone betrayed him and then Wait. uh he like someone had convinced him like no, no no just make it simpler and he was like okay i'm just a human okay <laughs> I, I haven't seen the room in a long time there's nothing supernatural in it is there no but that you could you could end it the same way you could you could do whatever yeah. with that movie it doesn't matter that's true that's true <laughs> that's great i had no idea but it makes it makes sense and like the room if you just don't know the backstory and think of it as a black comedy then it fits with this oh yeah but, if you look at it as what they were trying to do, then not not as much. Um, Charlie, what did you think of it? I, I you've said a little bit. Yeah, I um, I don't remember if it was off mic or not, but I was talking before about how I always assumed it was just a really bad horror movie that's just a um, fun to watch for being how bad it is. <laughs> uh, but it's actually a pretty good character study of a yeah yuppie just kind of uh, losing his mind. It also has a it's also a commentary on loneliness. How um. It's just this uh, loneliness is just driving him crazy and his inability to kind of uh, form a, a actual relationship with people, uh, which uh, the director says in the commentary is like, this is, he sees the character a lot like a uh, school or not, uh, mass shooters, basically, yeah. where, um, which, but he just took it out in this way because uh, he happened to have a bat yeah. <laughs> um, interrupt a fucking <laughs> i mean you see this same kind of like cultural like movement happening now with like you know the pickup artist types and the andrew tate types mm-hmm. where it like they want to possess a woman but they don't want to like commune with a woman you know like they don't want yes. it to be like a like they just want the they they desire something and culture has kind of led them into the pathway of like sexual dominance and mm-hmm. having some kind of like control over something in their lives because everything you know there's there's a lot of layers here right he's a high class society guy he's got the money and wealth to do whatever he wants but he can't get what he wants because what he wants is something he can't just buy and what he Mm -hmm. wants is like control over someone else in his life um i say oedipal because like the way that like the dynamic between him and the uh, like the vampire when he's having like those moments of weakness, he's like country. He's, like, he's like a child. He's really scared. And then there's moments with the, the doctor, uh, his psychologist, where when he's standing up to her, it's like a, it's a child throwing a temper tantrum, you know? <laughs> yeah. Totally. And like the, being able to vacillate between those two and be like genuinely like moments where he's like, kind of like 
a likable enough dude. Like you're like, oh yeah, I could see this guy getting laid at a party, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like just the the fact that that's all one character, it makes sense that it's all one character, and that Cage can do all those characters. Yeah, yeah. Because he's throwing himself fully into the like like essence of this like yuppie. Uh, and I mean, we're kind of, we're kind of drifting into his acting, which I think is good because like it that's this whole movie is carried by his fucking acting. 100%. And I, yeah, I think I, that like in the movie, I don't think that character is faking like ever. Like even yeah. when he goes to Alva and is being super nice, I don't know that he knows that he's about mm-hmm. to turn into an asshole and he's trapping her. Like he it it fully I fully buy it as like a, a what some individual could go through. Yeah. Well, I, uh, it makes sense. It's a psychotic break, you know? Yeah. Uh Um, well, even when, uh, when he attacks her at the end and he, he rapes her, uh, like it, it seems like she mentioned, she says like, don't rape me. And then it like, seems like cross his mind. And like, that's not something he was planning or expecting to do at all. But like that put it in his mind at that moment, which is why, um, like he was going to attack her, but I, I think that he was just like, Oh, okay, I'll do that. Um, yeah. or he might've like gotten to that it's... point, but at the time didn't know it just like at the yeah. time when he's going yeah. to Alva's house, didn't know he was about to like, for, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I, um, it's, it's, you know, like the character, you know, uh, he's really truly not in control of himself throughout probably any point of the movie. But very specifically, like Peter Lowe, after the first maybe like 10 minutes of the movie, fully loses control of himself. Like he is no longer, you know, Peter is not there. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so you have those moments of vulnerability where he does kind of like seem to kind of realize what he's doing. And he's crying or he's like, uh, you know, like it seems like in some cases his assault is like he's really hoping that the one person that carries a gun with them all the time mm-hmm. will yeah. be the one who can kill him. He wants to die like he, you know, yeah, but, you know, it's like suiciding by cop, but without, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there was a scene before that where he brings her into the office and like he yells at her or something. And then she walks out of the office and he's like, why don't you use your gun on me? Yeah. Like yeah. That. Like, absolutely. Like, but not in a. But yeah, in like a kind of pleading way where he's yeah. like, please. <laughs> totally. Uh, but yeah, I just want to say, you mentioned how the movie is like so based around uh, Nick Cage's acting. Like I just said, when he dropped out, there's they were trying to get Judd Nelson. I cannot, I can imagine <laughs> Judd Nelson portraying a yuppie. I cannot imagine him uh, doing any of this other stuff, though. So I really yeah. wonder yeah. how... Weren't they trying to get uh, one of the Quintons to do it, too? Oh my gosh! I mean, the this Clintons. this holds Clintons, true for me sorry. for most oh. exceptional Nick Cage movies. Like, mm-hmm. what would it be without him? You know? Oh yeah, yeah. I cannot imagine. Totally, it, it's his character. Like his the character would not exist in the way that it exists without someone who was willing to not behave like a like a sensible mm-hmm. human. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, when you when you first uh, reached out about uh, loving Nick Cage, you brought up this nouveau shamanic yeah. thing. Um, we briefly mentioned it, uh, but in our last Nick Cage episode, but we uh, about Mandy, but we wanted to save it for you. Can you talk a little bit about that? And I know you have some stuff to say about like you know the way acting yeah. has changed and stuff. I'd love to hear your views on that. 
Yeah. Um. I'll uh. I'll kind of. I'm gonna do like summarize version because otherwise I could literally speed up the next two hours of your episode doing it. So I'm. I'm gonna. Well, remember, I got 41 summarize. hours on my battery. So. Oh. Okay. Good. Okay. <laughs> so. Okay. Right. Uh, acting as a profession and as a skill and as a talent has been with us for you know since humans were around. Right. We've always been performing for other people. Whether that be, you know, in one-on-one interactions or theater has changed, obviously, over the course of time. But in the, the term of theatrical acting, there's been an evolution. If you look back at, like, mm-hmm. Shakespeare times or even go back as far as Greek times, it was like you had a mask. You were, like, the sad jester. You were the happy one. And you would play these exaggerated characters, these exaggerated features and exaggerated emotions to portray to the audience the theme of the story because you were just a a embodiment of an idea in the story. You weren't trying to be Bob, the guy who sells bread. You were like the happy baker who was trying to present a moral about like saving up enough food for the winter or whatever. You know, as time went on, you kind of have that same kind of verbose overacting where you're not trying to be a human. You're trying to be big. And then film comes along. When film really started to kick off and we started to capture audio and visual mediums together, uh, theater started to change with it. Uh, so we start seeing this, this change into naturalism. And what I mean to say is we were looking to capture something that felt real on camera. So characters acting started being less, you know, uh, a manifestation of an idea and started just being like Jake, the guy next door. Hey, I'm, I'm selling bagels over here. <laughs> and you were trying to capture things that looked and felt real. And that meant that the actors had to be and look and feel real. And I think that that is a good idea and works for a lot of things like dramas and like, you know, crime thrillers and, I mean, hell, even action movies can be very naturalistic and realistic. I think that, like, naturalism has a really keen spot in the cinematic landscape. The problem is around, like, I don't know, like, the, the, like, probably mid-80s, maybe even, like, before then. I don't know. I'm not, like, an expert. All films became focused on naturalism. All films started to become hyper fixated, Mm -hmm. even action films. Now, post 9-11, action films are just trying to be naturalistic where you have like other than, of course, the characters can't die or be hurt or injured and they like run around and they punch really good, whatever. But, you know, we, we try to capture realistic events. And so acting has been pigeonholed into just presenting, you know, like of a a person as a person would act. Um, and so we've lost the kind of like theatrical experience and have replaced it with like people standing in front of a camera and delivering a line in a way that's believable. And like you see the death nail of that or death nail, I say nail all the time uh, in like Marvel films where you like because you have to try and be naturalistic with it, you'll have like a giant space monster explode from another reality and land in front of them uh, in front of like Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange has to be like. Wow, you don't see that every day. And you're like super normal about it, even though that's, that's like the craziest shit that's ever happened in human history. People should be literally liquefying their eyes. Like, yeah, that's not natural. That's actually not how it would be. Yeah. You know, it's like but, flipped. But you, but we've pigeonholed ourselves into trying to be the audience watching the movie is now the actor in the movie. 
right? Yeah. Natural. Mm -hmm. Naturalism has become just that. You have to react in a way that the audience themselves would be reacting in the movie. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Whoa. (laughs) So... Yeah, that's Nick a good Cage. point because it's oh, it's yeah. natural for us being desensitized to Absolutely. aliens, not yes. natural to someone seeing an alien bust through where like because yes. I'm constantly watching it movies and being like, why aren't why isn't everyone screaming? Why aren't there <laughs> people in <laughs> yeah. positions? Like, so that's a great that's point. What I'm saying is it's a deadening of the talent of acting, and I'm not saying that actors nowadays can't act or aren't able to perform characters. I mean, you know, like. You know, like Nice Guys was great. Like Ryan Gosling can be like a super weird over the top scream boy. It's very good. Uh, Ryan Gosling, uh, Scream King 2022. Can't wait for the Barbie movie. Bless up. But um, <laughs> Nick Cage is spitting in the face of that 100%. Nick Cage believes that acting is a you know, performance and you should be kind of like embodying not necessarily a character but a feeling and put that into the body of a character. You know, the character is just a mask wrapped around Mm. like a fleshy meat suit wrapped around an idea, you know? So the way he looks at it is that like, literally he is a tulpa for like a a feeling or a vibe. And uh, Charlie will probably be a little bit more familiar with, uh, with tulpas being a a Lynch fan. Um, But it's just like a concept. I think we might've talked about that. I think we might have brought tulpas up before on the podcast, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think (laughs) so, because off mic, I was asking Rob what the word tulpa meant. Okay. But it's just like... It's like a manifestation of something that's been, like, thought of, I guess. Uh, Yeah, okay. It's just a thought made manifest. We did too many episodes. So, like, there's there's, uh, writers that... I know I've read about writers. I think the guy that did Watchmen, I think... Maybe even he, him, unless I'm confusing with someone else, uh, believe that they seen like a like walking down the streets on the I, subway, like uh, someone who was actually a character that they had written. I can 100 percent see himself. Alan Moore being like, yeah, yeah no, yeah. I definitely tapped into the magic ecosphere, and I know, <laughs> I know that Doctor Manhattan is real for sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, no, so I, I mean, like, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, so where does the shamanic... I mean, this sounds like we're about to get to the nouveau shamanic. Sorry, yeah, that was the... So I was leading... No, I just, so, just saying it sounds like it, yeah. The neo-shamanic, like, when he says that, what he's saying... Because, like, shamanism was about putting, like, bringing, you know... Like, when you would dance and you would sing, you weren't, like, dancing and singing to perform for people. You were dancing and singing to embody the spirit of an illness to make it go away. You were singing for the rainstorm to come because you were embodying the rain. You were, you know, like that's what shamanism is. So what he's saying is that like, I am embodying a caricature, a feeling, an emotion, an idea, and I'm making it live inside my skin and dance around in me. And so his performances are these verbose, energetic, performances where he's just on the cusp and he seems like if he's standing next to a normal actor and he's going and he's in Nick Cage mode you like the rest of the uh, like members are elevated into also being weirdos because now they're the audience you know they're the people watching a crazy person act at them you know they're Doctor Strange going you don't see that every day whoa that's crazy (laughs) so what I'm saying is Nick Cage is 
Yeah, I mean, he's an interdimensional creature that is wrapped in a fleshy body uh, in his performances. Uh, that's basically yeah. what I'm trying to get at, and that's why I love Nick Cage movies. That's why, and I, I, I want to see more movies be hammy and less naturalistic. I want to see mm-hmm, people totally. be characters, you know, and not like characters. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, totally. I mean, yeah, I think we we will. Just uh, naturalism. I mean, acting is an art, and all arts go through phases oh, yeah. and trends. And uh, I think even that, most people are like, if anything is a naturalism, they're just automatically like, oh, that's just bad acting. Um, yeah. I think definitely in years to come, assuming uh, there isn't a climate apocalypse, uh, well, well... we'll see other... <laughs> Other forms of acting uh, replace naturalism as the major yeah. trend. What are we at? We're at post post naturalism or post post modernism now, or are we at post 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 modernism? Uh, I like. And I think that's the thing. Is like you know, uh, these end times, though they may be, uh, we aren't seeing like cultural shifts happening, like in the art ecosystem as rapidly, and it's because there's like five dudes in charge of all yeah. art right now yeah yeah totally. so it's like ah, you know <laughs> and those We're dudes are getting... a lot like the dudes in the boardroom at this literary critic <laughs> place oh yeah 100 <laughs> sure. so uh you know awesome explanation thank you for uh, that hopefully that kind of cinched it together uh yeah uh, <laughs> um well you can even see like in this movie he uh nick cage watches nasratu mm-hmm. which uh things an expressionist uh movie by Murnau Murnau from yeah. uh, the 20s yeah. where you know that's a different really different type of acting not only because it's I mean silent obviously it's silent so it's largely based on that but uh yeah it's just a completely different way of acting uh-huh. and Nick Cage tries to embody that and he talks about how that's uh um influence on him yeah no 100 percent I mean German expressionism then, is literally like it's expressionism it's it's trying mm-hmm. to capture a human emotion and just bring that to the forefront as much as possible, you know? So it's not like, Oh no, you know, it is, you know, very, very over over the top reactions because there's no audio. So you have to present to the audience with your limitations. The reason that masks were used in, in Grecian times isn't because people wouldn't understand that someone was sad when they walk in and go like, I'm sad, Larry, the bread man. It's because, there was someone all the way at the top of the amphitheater who had to be able to see that the person was sad bread Larry man, you know? Yeah. Wait, so it's, was, yeah. Is the bread man a popular? No, I don't know why I'm latched <laughs> onto that. I, I, uh, I, I really, Hey, I'm making it here. You don't know that. Charlie? It's, it's old as Peter. I have no idea why I latched onto bread and <laughs> I don't know. A New Jersey bagel guy. <laughs> so good. It's great. <laughs> But yeah, and then uh, after silence, like you get in the 30s and 40s, and you see like the transatlantic um, yes uh, accent used, and the acting there, like they weren't really going for naturals, and they're just very much they saw themselves as an extension of uh, plays, basically. Absolutely, and so they're very uh, conscious about it being like a dramatic performance. Um, well, the transatlantic and, thing happened because it was like it was radio. It was the clearest mm-hmm. way to hear and understand someone while being able to talk fast. You know, it wasn't like yeah. how normal people talked. It was a, a literally a presentation method. Yeah. Right. And then 
you had, you know, movies happening around the same time. So they're like, well, I mean, that's all the radio plays are transatlantic accents. So we'll just keep doing that. You know, it was just like, well, it was just. And then you had radio people like Orson Welles and his uh, <laughs> and the Mercury Theater become the, some of the biggest actors Absolutely. and filmmakers God. of the time. For sure. Now, uh, yes, yeah. California champagne. <laughs> so. Obviously, part of the reason that Nick Cage is able to do such a big performance in this movie is because he's kind of having a mental breakdown the entire time. Yes. Um, my first question for y'all is, is, is the therapist real at all? Like, does he have oh. a therapist the whole time and that last meeting is in his head? Or is there just no therapist? I couldn't figure it out. I think she's there the whole yeah, time. Yeah, I think she's she's um, real, yeah. Okay. But that is an interesting uh, perspective that, you know, if you wanted to read that way, I, I guess you could. I guess she um, acts different enough. Think, when was his first? The last what? time. She acts different enough that it's like, that's a break from the real therapist. Yeah. It would kind of make sense. She, the fact I'm that to think, she's when was shocked the... by his reactions. The, the only people yeah, who are you're fake right. are Rachel, yeah. really. Because Rachel is giving him... and. Uh, Shannon, who's like giving him everything he wants. The women that are in his mind, the big distinction, are they just they give him everything. They okay. are perfect well, and loving and they are his mom and his Well except you know <laughs> that that except he uh he hates him still. Was was it Shannon still? Um the, I mean was it Shannon? That's the is that the girl at the yeah, end? And he hates her. That the nice girl? Well he starts yelling yeah, at her. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I see what you're saying. No, I, he's, Damn, a, you're he's right. an incel Fuck. that gets laid. It's it's the it's yeah. the I you know like one of the things that like they want. There's this guy I'm I I don't want to shout him out because like I, you know it's one of those things yeah. where it's like I want him to be famous because I want more of his books, but also like everything he writes is just truly vitriolic and bad. But it's funny bad. Stephen King. No, no. <laughs> it's a it's a small. It's like just some guy. Uh, you know. It's anyway. The point is. <clears throat> He writes these these uh, these vampire stories where he his character is very clearly an embodiment of himself. It's super cool and very powerful. And the based off of me uh, like following him on Twitter, the romantic interest is a girl he has a huge crush on that does not reciprocate. Where did you tell us about this before? Was it when yeah, you were I, I might have mentioned it this. the last time uh, we were hanging out, and yeah, I was talking okay. about how yeah. much I love him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got. Both of the books that he's published uh, in my house, but then he erased two from the internet, and I'm so sad. Oh. <laughs> uh, he, so this, this like, he, you know, he writes about this girl in these really, like, you know, she uh, admires him. She loves him, you know, and, oh, she's so great. But then every time she asks any question, anything, his character is immediately hyper annoyed with her. Like, oh, she's such a child. She's so dumb. She's such a baby. <laughs> And that, that's the thing. These dudes are in these like head spaces. They want, uh, they want a woman that they can control and be in charge of. And that means that they inherently have to be kind of dumb and annoying to them. So they want physically to be with an adult woman, but they want it to also be their mother to take care of like their household chores, but also be a child like character. They literally want the, the uh. full, like what's the, What's the crone, the the hag, the crone, or like the it's like the the hag, the maiden, and um, oh gosh, there's like a 
they want all three of like the archetypical women in one body. And so okay. you see that portrayed in this character where he like, you know, he wants to control women and he's afraid of them saying no and rejecting him and to the point where he has to reject them first. And even his ideal mm-hmm. women, his like, you know, dream woman, like either has to be, uh, you know, like his mother and like literally like in control of him or annoys him. And he has to like, you know get out of my house, you know, like, so it's, it's very odd. It's so psychically interesting. It's interesting that in this movie they're making, okay, sorry. First off, why do you all think he has this breakdown? Obviously he has these views that are like conflicting and weird, but why, what do you all think triggers this? Um, I don't, I feel like he's just already been on this downward spiral, downward spiral. And we just happened to catch it at the moment where it really starts to break out. And the, the fact that the bat mm. interrupts his sex at that time um, kind of uh, just directs that towards it, the breakdown being a vampiric cent- center. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know if there's any specific thing that that does it overall. I think it's just been a, a long process of him just being a totally lonely person who is just incapable of uh, forming a lasting relationship with other people. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, yeah, uh, mostly centered around a romantic relationship, but we don't really see him have any other kind of relationship with other, other people. Other than work relationships well. where he's also, yeah. like, I'm starting to think, like, if it's almost like maybe he's having some sort of existential realization that he's just a fucking parasite for women and at the workplace. Mm-hmm. And then the bat and Nosferatu makes him put that into a vampire situation, right? But it's just so interesting to me that this incel author you bring up, Rob, also uses a vampire like he's yes. aware that he's a parasite <laughs> like, no he just i think he thinks it's sexy and cool this, yeah. this is different like totally. there's this is one you know, one person writing from the perspective of viewing this person one from the perspective of being this person you know sure but very interesting how both treat the love interest like you know yes the person that's the most mm-hmm. important woman in their lives you know, that fits all their ideals and is super perfect and sexy and cute and likes all the th- same things that I like and, you know, that kind of thing. Totally. It's, just a, it's you know, like it's a difference from a bird's eye view and being in the pilot seat. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, I OK, so I was trying to I read your question. And I started really thinking about it because, like, it's clear this is like a schizophrenic break kind of being portrayed, you know, in or at least I think it's a schizophrenic break. The thing is, usually that pops up around like in your 20s, and it's because of the stress of like a lot of hormones and college, really high stress situations. He doesn't really have a lot of high stress, right? So, uh, you know, like the big kickoff moment that Charlie mentioned is like fighting the bat, which, you know, obviously he could already have some like weird psychosexual stuff happening. And then to like feel the power of attacking a predator attacking like you know like you know defending his woman could also like mess with him psychically Mm -hmm. but there isn't like something in the the movie that's portrayed as like you know like a a snapping point for his psyche so much as like on the stress i do think you can have self-imposed anxiety right like i do think that his work life and his desire and and in his mind his need to sleep with women one time make sure i get another woman tonight all these things like fill a role could be so i think there could be some stress there but that's no no that's a very fair Mm -hmm. point i i guess it's just not portrayed in the film in like a a direct enough way where i felt like that was like supposed to be the case totally 
in the end of the movie, when he's having the projected conversation with his um, therapist, we do get a little bit of insight on why he first started seeing her, where he's like, you know, like, uh, you know, like he says, I've been depressed. I'm, you know, like he's opening up about his depression. So it seems like he started seeing this therapist because, you know, he was feeling very unfulfilled in his life. You know, uh, and he was like getting with these women, but he didn't want to stay with them. And so that obviously brought him grief. Um, and he was depressed, but depression doesn't usually just like, like tick over into like a schizophrenic break. Yeah. Uh, it's usually, you know, like I said, like it's, but it can happen anytime. Like that's the thing. It's like it, you know, that's one of the scary things about the brain is that it's just like, I don't know, it's a squishy meat machine powered by electricity and salt, (laughs) you know? So like something could just go wacky with it at any point. And like, so yeah, I mean, it does seem like the kickoff really is like his, you know, like fighting the bat thing and getting that weird, like psychosexual moment of just like, you know, that like masculinity that like finally chasing that is like, Oh, this is where my masculinity is. This is like, you know, and again, it's not like he sure. is showing that he's like, feels like he isn't a man. I'm just mm-hmm. kind of like positing based off of like current, like the kind of like guy that this is in the modern era, not from like 1989, <laughs> obviously. Um, but like in the modern era, there seems to be this big chase for the masculine id of like capturing, like, you know, like the, the idealized, alpha male fake you know kind of like a uh, big tough naked warrior greek soldier guy right they they want to have that they want to have some kind of like self uh actualized yeah. masculinity because there aren't like a lot of really like there aren't like a lot of male role models that like exist yeah. in our ecosystem that aren't just like sexy Except movie stars well, i mean yeah. obviously yeah no that's yeah. obvious <laughs> Man, you got guns, Charlie. Oh, my God. This is actually – these have gone down a lot. Um, <laughs> you should see the old been, Charlie. I used to – just in there yeah. reading paper. I didn't see until you did that. <laughs> Caught me off guard. No, I, I, I think that makes sense. I guess I'm kind of curious outside of uh, what Nick Cage's character thinks of, like, maybe why the movie wants to portray him as having a breakdown. Like, why does he have a breakdown? Why, why then a breakdown where you think you're a vampire? Um, I just want to, before answering that, I just want to piggyback on what, uh, Rob was saying. Um, which I know this may be stupid and wrong, but, uh, talking about that, that, uh, that, uh, drive of masculinity and obtaining, uh, you know, uh, that kind of status. Uh, he's this, I, I also kind of feel maybe that there's this undercurrent of, he's achieved this, uh, not the big boss position in his job, but he's like a, a boss figure and he has control over these people under him, but that kind of really amounts to nothing. Totally. Um, totally. He can tell them to go look for a contract and threaten them to fire them if they don't find it. Absolutely. Like, it really just amounts to nothing. Yeah. And he doesn't even seem to really do anything mm-hmm. as well, no. which is just like, I feel like some people in those kind of positions, they, they're, they try to tell themselves there's this, the big important person and then they but there's just like underlying like understanding like oh i can just call i can just say i'm going home early and go to a diner and i can just uh 
sit here and pretend to talk to these people on the phone like is not actually anything important or yeah but they've they've driven themselves in the head like i'm striving towards this because i'm a successful totally super successful person um and i think there could be an amount of stress uh and self um hate i guess self-criticism that's that's kind of what i was leaning towards when i said maybe some sort of existential like it's like i've i've Mm -hmm. arrived but what is this this is just as i'm arrived and i still i still can't form a relationship with anyone i'm still lonely can only have one night stand yeah i'm not Uh, building anything nobody really looks up to me yeah Uh, it's i mean it's very like you know terminal stage capitalism brain space you know where Mm -hmm. it's just like you know, even when you get to like the upper limits of like your, you know, power dynamic in like a capitalist society, you're still kind of like bound to a like failing social structure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like the building is collapsing on the first floor, you know, and yeah. you're on the 10th floor. You and know? also, yeah. like, you think you're so big and important, but when you look at it, you realize that the only thing that is keeping your business going are the people who are supposedly below you. And the most you can Mm -hmm. do is make micromanage them. Right. So Um, you have to not, you have to literally just avoid critically thinking about like your situation. Otherwise you eventually start to go insane, which is why most small business owner types, you know, the, the libertarians, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, are kind of just like very like when you talk to them, there isn't like a like a really active inner self. Yeah, because <laughs> like you can't because if you are critically aware of like what like you're a part of and you really think about it, you have to stop yourself always at one solution, mm-hmm. which is like, well, everyone else just doesn't deserve it. And I do. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't well, dive any deeper. You know, we see this with a. Uh... You know, the thing that runs through the movie is he's tasked with finding this contract of someone that's a um, a writer for them yeah. uh, that's signed to them. And he plays it up, especially at Isle, like this is huge, important thing. Yeah. And he's just like, I need to get this. I need to get this. And he gets the phone call. And he's like, watch me do this song and dance routine. And the person's just like, hey, no yeah, worries. I know you're busy. Just get to it whenever you yeah. can. But he still has to present it as and then even he after can't admit the phone that he call. still has to present it as this big important thing and he needs to still uh have this angry authority over this person underneath him I, because it still has to be important even if it isn't important yeah. yeah i think honestly that sequence might really go to uh uh to your point rabbit that i didn't really think about uh, up until right now is that like ultimately like if he genuinely isn't just like ignoring what that guy said to just like you know course correct he is ultimately just like super stressed because he has self-imposed these like these demands because he doesn't have any practical or physical demands so like what do you do you have to become a predator you have to become like the alpha you have to like you know and a vampire become like a a, a creature that like stalks and like kills its prey you know and people like that they they love the smell of their own bullshit. Like he yeah. Yeah. realizes on the phone that it's not important. <laughs> Five minutes later, he's sure that's fucking important. Like yeah. he can't <laughs> look at the truth. And I mean, that kind of brings me to the um, like we've been kind of talking about how the patriarchy plays into this. But there's that scene where he's in the room with all the other bosses. Right. Yeah. And they're like, 
making fun of Alva for like basically wanting rights and for like uh, <laughs> wanting to not be harassed and chased and screamed at at work, and they're yeah. laughing at her. And it's like, what are you? What do you, like? What does a boys' club full of people laugh at? Stuff that they don't want to like actually think about very yeah. hard. Yeah. Stuff they yeah. don't want to like, analyze and face. You know. And the one guy is like, yeah, well, we should. We'll give a raise out of his. He gets like kind of mad for a second, and then they all start laughing it off. Yeah. For like a split second, he gets a smidge of pushback and like immediately like the again, there was just amazing article that like America's id will uh, 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 like do anything to protect itself, you know? Yep. And it's just a story about kind of like like modern politic and like, you know, mostly like kind of like right wing politic right now where it's just like all circling the wagon to defend to, you know, any degree, but also just like, even like the center, like the left leaning, like mass media where like, we'll do anything to protect like the idea, like the Tulpa of America, you know, where it's just Um, like, you know, I just want to point out when you said left leaning, you did. Sorry. Sorry, I was doing my, my, I think that's important. For uh, for like, you know, CNN, the, the, the commie liberal, uh, the commie news (laughs) network. The Uh, fucking Antifa um, CNN. (laughs) A a simpler solution to his break could just be, uh, he has a framed, um, picture on his desk of Kafka. Maybe he's just been reading too much. Kafka. I did not notice that. Hell yeah. That's a really That's, good point. I yeah. didn't even think, yeah. Okay. And Kafka <laughs> often talks about, like, the uselessness and the, like, the, uh, what's the word? Like, the abs- the absurd nature of bureaucracy yeah. and business. Mm-hmm. And clearly we're in this a, a situation I mean, that yeah. I don't know if I would say is Kafka-esque, but he's part of that machine for sure. That's yeah. cool. I didn't know yeah. that. That's really good. It's also really indicative of the kind of person that, you know, he is. Like, they just, like... You know, he can't really, like, he absorbs Kafka-esque material, maybe. Like, you know, reads a book, mm-hmm. but he doesn't understand it. He can't uh, absorb yeah. and reflect it in his own life. And I think that's, you know, I, I, I talk a lot about the importance of media analysis in that, like, I feel like it's mostly dead. I feel like a lot of people just watch because it's content, you know, or absorb, yeah. like, content. And it's just, like like a wet sponge just like you know getting stuff thrown at them like especially with like marvel movies and stuff but it's really because that's all the only like stuff that's out there you know like it's the mass market like media to consume but uh totally man oh well let's talk about the person he's fucking harassing all the time alva um to me the only really standout character other than nick cage in the movie uh, maybe I'm wrong, but that's that's kind of how it feels to me. I do love I her mean... brother as a vampire hunter. Uh, <laughs> yes, his like his like his his turn at the very end to become a new a vamp New York City's vampire hunter would be very cool. But you know, I'm not writing Vampire's Kiss too here for sure. Uh, that's a great idea for like a spinoff series. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, yeah, just killing fake vampires, just businessmen who yeah. are having mental breakdowns. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, oh God, it's hard to know what to say about Alva because, like, it's almost a stereotype of how, you know, just, like, the hardworking, trying to be reasonable, almost perfect person who is the only one we see doing work in the entire fucking uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. movie. And, yeah, I mean, just almost like a direct opposite to cage, but he just yeah. can't stop fucking with her, man. Yeah. 
I I think my favorite element of Alva's character is not necessarily uh, like Alva herself, who again portrays like that very like you know like uh, like a a good worker, you know, that's like actually doing the job, right? Yeah. The thing that I love, the thing that like really just like made this not just like a comedy, but makes this a dark, you know, a drama in like why there's a lot of confusion to some people is how fucking real it can get with the reactions to her asking for help. Mm. Mm-hmm. The reactions of her bosses, that ring of like dudes who are just like, <laughs> she asked for a raise. Oh man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, don't do that again. Otherwise I might get in trouble. But the real question, I, you know, like they immediately ignore her, her mom being like, Oh, I hate, yeah. everyone yep. hates their boss. It's just uh, whatever, you know, the reaction to like Nick Cage being crazy and like her coworker being like, he's so eccentric. You yeah. Know? yeah. Everyone sees uh, the, the same thing happening. When, and when he yeah. when he chases her into the bathroom and the old woman's and like, what are you and doing? Then she here? Just but then she just walks away yeah. oh like without even caring. Yeah. It's like <laughs> And then yeah. she, and even then, like she does that performative like, you know, like how you Is doing, everything sweetie? Okay? Are you okay? And then yeah. when she's yep. like, yeah, and like clearly not okay, she's like, my job here is done. And then she walks off. Yeah. And it's <laughs> totally. I, just like capturing that, capturing mm-hmm. the, again, the the bandwagon isn't just the guys in the boardroom. The bandwagon is societal expectations. Totally. Mm-hmm. Boom. That like the the, yep. the wagons have been pulled together. They've They've circled and they are ready to defend uh nick cage's like you know uh <laughs> psychopathy at any cost her brother's you know? the yeah. only one not part of that i think like he well, believes when her he, when at the he, very first he's just kind of like i mean yeah i guess you can like take my gun like he's kind of confused by mm, everything he doesn't really understand the yeah. gravity of the situation sure. it's not until after she comes to him and clearly like has a longer conversation oh hey cat uh where you know, like suddenly the mood shifts and he's no longer a passive participant in her, sure. yeah. her nightmare. Um, and I think that Good that's point. one of the, the, the things about Alva's character arc that really like stuck with me both in the first viewing and in this most recent like rewatch is it's like, oh, wow. It's so like nothing has really changed. Like we kind of had that like, oh, we're going to have the, you know, like the Me Too movement. Like, all right, cool. And then that just got fully co-opted and absorbed into just like the like mass media id again. Because it's just, it can't, it can't survive. No, yeah. like, you know, like, the like we'll always protect like the, the power hierarchy, you know? So, yeah. Um, Dillies and Guitari have this, uh, this saying the, or like this term, the apparatus of capture for what the state is. Uh, it has to capture everything into itself. And so, you know, yeah. we see your Black Lives Matter and we turn it into something else. We turn it into a pro state, yeah. a strengthening uh, yes. of thing. And yeah, things like Me Too, like, which is an, like a needed thing, get yeah. turned into like something that does quite the opposite. I mean, and now, well, yeah, you I mean, see it with, like, even like I'm sure, like now there's like a there's a Twitter take where um um sweaty, uh Peter Lowe is literally a neurodivergent uh a small business owner. Please yeah. respect him, you know. Please give him the space he needs well, in the totally. women's What are you bathroom. against literature? Like <laughs> yeah, Charlie, what were you gonna say? I think it, um I know you don't like the guy, but I think Lennon talked about how. 
the state would always will always like adapt um uh co-op like the yeah uh revolutionary something along Capital, those lines baby. so like uh, g- great examples like martin luther king yeah. where yes. you know he's taught by the state in a way that the state wants him to be taught even that if that isn't uh necessarily reflective of who he actually yeah. was um, because who he actually was was too radical for the state. Yeah. Totally. Where at the at the time that he died, like ninety percent of the country hated him, and now you know we put him mm-hmm. on our stamps, and it's all good. Yeah. Name yeah. the streets mm-hmm. after him. Another great example of that is Lenin, who created, <laughs> yeah, who helped bolster up the state, and it became fucking not not communism. Uh, man. So, yeah, I, I don't know what else about like. I mean, the patriarch is just so strong in this movie. It's like, like just the stuff he gets away with, like, yeah. which is, to be fair, since I'm not in that office and it's fake hilarious, like jumping on that fucking table and going like, am I getting through to you, Alva? Like, epic, <laughs> amazing. But also get the fuck out of that office. Yeah. Like, you do if not. You, yeah. I mean, separating yourself from the movie and just viewing it as like a, you know, like a film and not yeah. like a natural real thing that's happening it's it's hammy tulpa acting but then like you also because you have alva seriously acting and this is the thing i was talking about with nick cage's performances you then get this second layer which is under the undercurrent which is just like how real and horrifying the situation is so you get like the you can enjoy the movie on both levels totally uh totally you know, and it just but depends it is, on where you want to maneuver your brain cogs to, you know? I feel like no matter how much I maneuver my brain cogs, that shit's hilarious in this movie. Like, Nick Cage <laughs> yes. does such a fucking good job. Like, but yeah. it is also like, yeah, I mean, part of the reason, it's almost nervous laughter because it's so yeah. gnarly. Um, even before, <laughs> like, the sexual assault scene happens, those are the vibes he's putting off. And it's like, yeah. whoa, dude, like... She's just looking through a folder that doesn't yeah. matter. Like it's all made up. He made it up. Yeah. Like, well, so mean, intense. And, and it 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 kind of goes back to like his break and his response to the phone call, which we all hear. She, Alva can hear. Like I think I think we're supposed. I to don't get know the impression if she could. That, like, I I got the impression that like, oh maybe yeah maybe it was supposed to just be. No, on I don't side. think she heard okay. it. Okay. Because uh, I feel like then she probably would have said something. That's fair. Um, okay. Yeah. Then uh, that makes it just like so unnerving that like he hears he hears other people's words, but they mean nothing to him because yeah. he's so trapped in this weird ecosystem, this box that he's created for himself. And again, you know, like it's I, I don't know what to call it. It's like this incel mentality, but it's like getting laid. I have there's like a a, a guy I knew in college who was like just had that like it was just like you know like oh you like this is definitely like like nowadays like you know uh, he's got his own thing going on but like whenever i hang out with him now there's still this kind of like vibe where it's like like you're you're def- you're getting laid now and like you're like in like a pseudo polycule thing that's going on but like you're still an incel and i don't know how to i don't know what to call that mentality that psychic like the shape I mean, it's of almost that brain, you know, boomer. Ch- like my dad and his whole generation <laughs> makes jokes where it's just funny that your wife is terrible, and it's like I don't yeah, understand. Yeah. Like I it's literally weird, right? don't get it. And like again, what? I think it kind You're of comes back picture. to this need to be the father and the lover, and it's this weird again. Like the the male psyche is 
turbo wrecked. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not healthy. <laughs> well, I think part of the reason that he feels this need to jump up and scream all the time and like all that shit is because he's hiding his fragility. Like yeah. because he needs to seem mm-hmm. like bigger, but it's this like vicious circle where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, people are going to react worse to you. So then you yeah. feel more fragile. So then you get, you scream. So then I don't fucking know. Um, yeah. Did y'all have any other, I, Jumping on the table, screaming is one of my favorite lines. But did you all have any other favorite Nick Cage lines? Um, the A B C E S. God, <laughs> that scene is so great because as he gets more into it, he starts to lose the oh, the the yuppie accent. Yeah. Um, I think honest, honest to God, my favorite moment is him covered in blood, hair all askew, eyes vacant, talking to a lamppost. And then cutting back and forth between, like, you know, the therapist and the, you know, that real life. And then when the therapist is like, I've got another patient and she's just perfect and she's going to love you forever. And it cuts back to him and he goes, whoa. (laughs) And it's just like the way he delivers that whoa is so good. It's better than Keanu Reeves has ever woed in his life. And it's just like, it's just, oh, yeah, it's just a perfect moment. We have not talked about um, actually how his, weird his accent that goes in and out yes. is. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I was just to say first, another line I liked was, I came here for a truce, man. <laughs> Plus, I brought soup. I brought soup. <laughs> Which is like um, a little yeah. bag of soup. I, I guess yeah, I know. I've never seen soup like soup. that. It was but... the 80s. Everything was just like chemical. Yeah, it was 80s New York City. Oh. It was wild time. God damn. <laughs> um, uh, the the acting, the voice. Here, let me. All right. So, his um, father, who was a professor of comparative literature, he made a decision at some point to start speaking with a distinction <laughs> to uh, his voice. And Cage always thought that it sounded absurd, <laughs> um, but he thought it sounded like the type of voice that a literary agent yeah. would use to sound impressive and sophisticated. But it. Sometimes he does it, sometimes he doesn't, which I feel like is purposeful. But I think that's why yeah. it, it's a conscious voice he's using. That's why it's not always yeah. there, because he's trying to adapt it it's as also, a, to sound impressive and sophisticated, but it's not actually That's really amazing. Um, it's fair. I also want to say, he says that a lot of the mannerisms in his movies, was, uh, people don't know this, Nicolas Cage was a cop, is a Coppola. Uh, yeah. He just decided to go by Nicolas yeah. Cage. Yeah, and, Nicolas uh, Coppola. <laughs> Coppola, sorry. Nick, um, Nicola Coppola. I thought you were saying he was a cop for a second. I was like, <laughs> yeah. not what? into it. Coppola, Coppola. Um, but he's, he's, uh, he brought up twice that uh, his manner is, a lot of his mannerisms were based on family members that he will not name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's great. I, um, I, yeah, his, his accent, I, it, you know, like, does it come and go on purpose or does it come and go because they shot this on film and it's a low budget, like dark comedy horror movie? Uh, eh, you know, we only had so many takes. Sure. I don't know, but I love it. <laughs> I love falling out of the accent, yes. especially when he starts really getting into the mm. character, because those are the moments where you see it's just Nick Cage acting, you know, yeah. just performing. <laughs> And then there's scenes I... where he's talking to his therapist or a girl. And so he's trying to do this very cool. And it's almost like, I don't know, like congested Donald Trump. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, personally, I do believe that uh, it was on purpose that it kind of goes in and out. Um, 
Because like I said, if he is just seeing it as something that a literary agent would use, yeah. uh, that that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, it does. I feel like this movie, part of the, I don't know, this movie almost is trying to make you go as crazy as Nick Cage is. <laughs> You're just like, wait, is he, okay, I'm just getting a grip on who this guy is. Wait, now he's talking different. Now he's acting different. <laughs> Yeah. Um, he uh, he says a lot of people tell him that it's uh, way over the top, but he does not believe in acting being over the top. He just thinks that it's a different style than naturalistic. Hell yeah, um, which everyone yeah. else is used to. Speaking so, of like we were talking about earlier, this being low budget. Um, I in the podcast I mentioned earlier. They were talking about how a lot of the actors, like a lot of this, there was like a non-union movie and they like shot guerrilla style on the streets. So like when he was walking, dragging that steak covered yeah. in blood, those were just people actually <laughs> reacting to him, which is yeah. incredible. I was going to say, there's in the, the sequences where he is just walking through the street or when he's running, I'm a vampire, you know, like those scenes are the most New York I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. yeah. More New York um, than even the, hey, I'm walking here. Like, it's <laughs> just like, yeah. I mean, like, every time I've gone to New York, like, that's happened. <laughs> For sure. The, the commentary brings up how, yeah, the people weren't in on it, but none of them really seem to be <laughs> yes. that uh, just... worried or anything. Uh, he also talks about how, at this time, the director talked about how, at this time in New York City, they just uh, emptied a bunch of institutions. So oh. it was kind of regular for um people oh, yeah, not, 80, uh, yeah. wholly in the right mind to be just walking around this totally must have been filmed 87 uh, or 88 right it came out 88 yeah it was so... released in 89 so probably 88 yeah so right right when reagan reagan pulled the plug on everything so cool. for sure it's really like yeah. 80, 86 i think is when he did that and then i don't know when he did but i know that's one of the many great things that he yeah. did well one God final question America. before we get to our awards um do you think this film or in any aspect of it is actually like critiquing capitalism or do you all think it's critiquing this specific kind of 80s yuppie crony like capitalism? What do you all think? Uh, I don't think it's trying to critique capitalism. I think it's just critiquing. Yeah. Like business culture of the 80s. I think inherently yeah. within that critique, obviously you do criticize mm -hmm. things that capitalism uh, endorses and admires and so thus it is a critique of capitalism totally. but it is it is a critique targeting like work culture in the 80s and that power dynamic mm -hmm. of this very patriarchal very like sexist kind of ecosystem uh and especially kind of like the the rise of this this very very specific type of like post free love hippies seventies into this like more uh I don't know like aggressive kind of like male dominant uh sexuality of the eighties, you know? Yeah. Like before like the swinger culture really like kicked off and like the like you know eighties and nineties that era. This is like kind of that, you know, like the hunt, you know, like one night stand culture, uh, you know, like uh, I, I feel yeah. like it's trying to critique and criticize those things. I agree with you. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was basically what I was going to say. <laughs> just uh, said better, better. Me. Well, uh, um. <laughs> since we all critique capitalism and can see that in this movie, I have to share this. I was reading Capital Volume One this week and came across yeah. this line that just too too much reminded me of the movie. So I got to read it. It's just yeah. where is it? One sec. 
Capital is dead labor, which, vampire-like, lives only by sucking living labor, and lives the more, the more labor it sucks. And, uh... I think it's pretty great that that's what he's doing, and he's becoming a vampire. It's (laughs) a little too perfect. (laughs) Brilliant. Let's do do some uh, awards. Uh, Rob, since you're our special guest, can you give us your dumb cop of the week? Yeah. uh, Well, okay. So uh, sometimes being a cop means just turning your back uh, on a a violent situation because it suits your needs. Yeah. so uh, I think probably my favorite cop is uh, his boss shitting his brains out while he's screaming, I'm a vampire. Where am I? Where am I? Wait, You're in the bathroom. I think that was his boss. I think that was supposed to be his boss. <laughs> oh, okay. And instead of being like, are you all right? <laughs> yeah. Or like, what's going on? It's just like, go back to theater. Like he immediately is like, what? ah, you're a theater kid now. <laughs> yeah. He's like. Go back to theater class or go to the ladies' room. Or yeah, something. <laughs> another like, person who just can't face the obvious shit right in front yes. of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Charlie, you got one. Yeah, I was gonna say like the whole kind of a table, the boardroom of all the bosses, yeah. just kind of laughing about the whole situation. Um, but I also kind of feel even worse is her mom. Who's oh, just yeah. Like, her, mom's, yeah. her mom's got that cop inside of her. Does not listen or pay attention yeah. at all. Yeah. She's just like, oh, whatever. Everybody has problems at work. And it's just like, don't you want to ask your daughter to extrapolate of why this boss is so bad or anything like that? Don't you want to actually do anything to try? No, you just want to brush it off like it's nothing. Um, very cop mentality. Sounds very definitely. cop mentality. That's true. I didn't even. Yeah. Man. Wow. I was bouncing between the two you said, uh, Charlie, but so I'm just going to say like, this is like Captain Crunch, oops, all cops, except for Alva. Um, <laughs> it's just like, there's not a single fucking non-cop, like Nick Cage, obviously, the coworkers, obviously, I know it's a cop out, whoa, uh, but oh. yeah, uh, that's where I'm going. Yeah, with a movie star and a coppola. <laughs> oh, hey. Um, okay. What about Praxis Award? Uh, Rob, you get to go first again. This is uh this is tough because like obviously the brother becoming a, a vampire hunter at the end was rad that was so cool, um but you know like he was killing a neurodivergent guy so that t- that knocks <laughs> off some points, yeah. uh but still just I mean he's rocking a mullet he's going in there <laughs> he's breaking windows uh very cool. But uh, I, I kind of feel like his therapist really is like trying very hard okay. to help as best as yeah, possible. That's a good despite, one. Oh, yeah. Like being met with like a consistently overwhelming odds. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, seeing her with her younger boyfriend in the mid- while taking a call <laughs> with like one of the most insane patients you've ever had and still being like level the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> she she gets a point for me. <laughs> um, Good one. Apparently, that scene, the A B C D E F G scene, uh, <laughs> she did not know. She was not told beforehand how uh, Cage was going to act. Oh, so like her reactions there are uh, semi-real. Oh, nice. <laughs> She's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Damn. Charlie, what you um, got? Yeah, I mean it's probably the most obvious one uh her brother same um <laughs> just uh i mean especially as we talked about you see how everyone in your life um just kind of ignores her and it's just like hey, it's not a big deal and then she gets because of that uh because nobody's 
stepping up and helping her. Not only not stepping up and helping her, but assuring her that yeah. she's just being overdramatic. Um, and then she gets uh, assaulted. Yeah. Um, it's nice that her brother stepped up and listened to her, even if, you know, maybe maybe murder wasn't the best thing. <laughs> but uh, it, yeah, was, it was it was the 80s. Nothing. Someone got murdered every day. Yeah. In, uh, in New York. Yeah. You know? Don't even <laughs> Well, they worry talk about, about how, um, <laughs> in the commentary, they brought up how crime was really bad in New York City at the time. And, and uh, one of the shots, I think at the first club, um, they had to wait for like a dead body to be taken out of the place or something before they could start shooting. Wild. Um, well, I was going to give it to Elva's brother, but I'm going to do my backup, um, which is. Just Alva for taking a sick day. Use those sick days, yeah. folks. Use, Use them however you want. Doesn't matter if you're sick. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Absolutely. Uh, awesome. Fa- favorite shot? Charlie, you want to start with this one? Um, can I give two? Ooh. We'll allow it. <laughs> Get okay. in there. Is that okay, oh, Rob? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Just want to double check. Um, I like that shot of him walking down the street at night and he looks up and he sees the the cross lit up and uh it's just kind of a cool shot looking down at the cross and then him on the on the sidewalk and he kind of collapses um my next one is uh when he's looking in the mirror in the bathroom and he doesn't see himself even though (laughs) you can clearly see him it's really cool how it kind of hammers it home how how much you can see him because there's multiple yeah. mirrors set up all reflecting him. Yeah. And he's just there screaming, I can't see myself or whatever. <laughs> Where am I? Um, Where I, am I? And it looks really cool. And it's just kind of a cool way to hammer yeah. on that. Point. I didn't catch that. That's funny. That's, That's great. Really good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how about you, Rob? Um, so I already talked about how much I love that whole ending sequence where we're cutting between his inner world and the real world. He's drenched in blood and he's just like, <laughs> I'm looking for the big L love, you know? And then like, it's him like standing on top of like, like almost like a proud toddler, you know, in front of like his mother figure, the psychologist. But I think right before then, when he's walking around again, still drenched in blood, wearing his like messed up business suit and dragging this piece of wood around. And like, he's just like walking in like the daytime, you know, and he's just like completely out of it. And he walks up to these people that are going into a church and he's like, please, you got to stab me. It's just right here, right here. And like their react, I'm like, are these also non-union? Are these just random people that like yeah. they set up the camera in front right? of the church? Because they, they're acting like, no, 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 I don't, no, no, no. There's no like reaction really. They're just trying to be mm-hmm. like. No, we're good. We're good. Sorry, sir. Sorry, I, can't. I don't want to look at you. We're fine. I don't have any money. No, sir. <laughs> Just that, <laughs> that way that sequence plays out in like that, you know, the sun baked street of New York as he's dragging this piece of wood behind him and like fully dissociating, you know, it's a good shot. Hell yeah. Um, Mine is very similar. It's just him walking down the street carrying the stake with his head tilted back. Going, <laughs> yeah. I just like the ones that stick in my mind the most are like the memes, like his face, like back when he's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, what is it? It's like, <laughs> it's terrible work and only you can do it and you have to. Like that yeah. sticks in my mind the most, but the one that sticks in my mind and doesn't make me want to throw up that I actually like, like is this, yeah, dragging the stake for sure. Um, 
Another cool shot when he's in his apartment and he has his couch as a Oh, coffin. God, I love that. Um, and there's a shot where Super good. his head's peeking out from that and then the lady vampire is there and it's like the whole screen is taken up by her legs and his yeah. face peeping out of the um, from the couch yeah. and it's just a very cool shot. I also, I really um, appreciate the sound design of the couch lifting up and then shutting. Yes. It's like groaning wood, <laughs> even though that's not what that would sound like. Yeah. Like, ru- yeah. like the le- pleather rubbing against the wood, but it's just like so good. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, okay, well let's let's rate this this sucker. So uh, Charlie, what's, y- what's <laughs> your rating? Oh nice, didn't even... Yeah. Um Better than any Batman movie. Wow. Wow. Yeah. All right. Even though I haven't seen most Batman <laughs> yeah. movies. <laughs> uh and um some uh both the cheapy vampire teeth and the twenty dollar vampire <laughs> teeth. Nice. Sweet. I'm gonna give this this movie four super sexy bats. Ooh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Rob? <laughs> Got all those bets. Uh, yeah, I was going to I was going to do like a, a a five five out of five uh cheapy teeth, no, no, but you that's... already beat me to it. The cheapy teeth is <laughs> no. what I was going to reference. Oh. Um uh but I think it's really good. It's great. I like, you know, I uh, 10 on 10. It's great. It's Hell uh yeah. it is Hell yeah. You know, uh it's a, it's a hoot uh yeah i mean <laughs> we've already stressed enough but i just have to repeat like this is a legitimately a, a good movie it's a great um, time yeah yeah it, it's a it's a fun fun time even i know some people are still gonna watch this and think cage is a horrible actor and some people are think he's a really good actor <laughs> either one you think it's still a great yes. time to watch yeah, um and it's just a very interesting character study of someone who's loneliness has just gotten so yeah. bad and you know the dreams of uh the power that aren't that turns out to not be real it's just this and how that can have uh, an effect on people those those things can have an effect on people mentally yeah. and it's just a fun great character study uh portrayal that kind of stuff yeah hell yeah and this is the director's first movie, which I think. Wow, um, good job! A pretty good first the movie. Only, uh, the only thing about this movie that is, I, I, I'll actually ding at one point. One point. Yeah. Nine out of ten. One point. It's <laughs> because at the end of the movie, when he's stabbed by the piece of wood, and then we slowly pan up, and there's the light filtering through the like blinds, and like we just slowly pan away. Uh, the damage, the psychic damage that did to every '90s like art house movie, <laughs> is un- incalculable because every single <laughs> like like Z budget like you know art film from that era up until the two like m- maybe even to this day I don't know I'm kind yeah. of out of the art like house scene now but <laughs> yeah like every single one of those movies has that. Sun coming through the blinds, you know, <laughs> shot, and it's like, oh, and the camera pans away. The damage that, that singular shot did to the American landscape of, of cinema, irreparable. <laughs> <laughs> Can I run through my uh, notes, my commentary notes, and just so there's any interesting things I, I want to sure. add in that didn't come up? Right. 
the first club scene, this wasn't even from the commentary. ESG was playing on the on the stage, which was fucking awesome, and I was super happy to see that. Who who was playing? Uh, ESG. They're yeah. like a a funk uh, post punk dance band from New York Hell yeah. at the time uh, in the eighties. They're just they rule, and so it's awesome to see them there. <laughs> um, the first, the woman who he hooks up with uh, with the bad attack and everything that he. Uh, stands up later that's cassie lemon who's uh i've never seen any of her movies but i know she does ease by you which is uh it's supposed to be an amazing movie criterion's releasing it like next month or something <laughs> like that nice uh cage was paid forty thousand dollars which he bought a um his first ever sports car with, <laughs> yeah uh a 1967 uh stingray nice to uh, later um, park in one of his castles yeah <laughs> the bat was made by some uh, Star Wars model dude, um, and it broke on the uh, trip over from ah. England. But they still kind of generated enough. Glued to work. it back together. There you go. Nice. I love that bat. Um, the director wanted New York City to be portrayed um, as an extension of Cage. <laughs> so as the movie goes on, he gets crazier. The, the New York City is supposed to be portrayed more and more. Um, like in the shots of yeah. therapy, oh. you kind of see it more in the background uh, behind beautiful him. shots at um, first and then it gets it like shows the grittier yeah. grittier parts of the city that's nice i like that hell yeah uh there's a point where he's listening to stravinsky in his apartment or he's like homie stravinsky they actually that was the most expensive thing in post-production they thought that the, it was going to be public domain but it turned out not to oh be. shit <laughs> but, <laughs> well, this uh, movie was shot for like half a million dollars right something yeah. like that wow I think maybe a little bit more than that but yeah it was oh, really cheap man it was either um, shot for half a million or it made half a million but i know it made less <laughs> than what it was shot for oh um the director saw this movie as a remake of cocktails or orpheus which is a great french surreal movie from the 40s i oh. think which i highly recommend yeah um okay i think that's all <laughs> oh he was originally supposed to eat raw eggs the cage wanted to do something memorable, so oh, he chose to do the cockroach. Yep. And I guess he had to do he, he had to eat two of them in order to because oh, the, the first time it wasn't moving and they needed it moving. Oh, my he said God. something about I God. I'm trying to remember. He was like, <laughs> yeah, he he was really creeped out, but he had to like put himself somewhere else and do it. Uh. <laughs> um, cage had heard a story when he was a kid of a kid biking down the street holding his hands around his neck and screaming there are vampires there are vampires which is uh yeah what influenced the i'm a vampire (laughs) hell yeah Um, incredible all right i think that's that's good good. nuggets charlie i'm glad you documented those oh the only thing the director thought was too over the top is at the end when he's in the club, he starts pumping his heart like this, thumping it, and the director thought that that was too over the top, <laughs> but uh, kept it anyway. Awesome. <laughs> uh, um, sweet. See. Well, that's the end of our episode. Thanks so much for listening, folks. Rob, uh, I mean, first of all, folks, go listen to Tokyo Lives and Tokyo Signals. You yeah. probably already are, but I'm just, just if you haven't, <laughs> do it. Uh, mm-hmm. Rob, where else can people find you? I mean, that's mostly it. Uh, uh, Tokyo Lives cast, uh, at Tokyo Lives cast, if you want to find us on Twitter. Uh, I mean, if you want to look at funny, non-Giant Monster-related jokes, I, I, I've got a, I've got my own Twitter account, which is just the 
at underscore or at jovian underscore son but i don't know i never really advertised that so <laughs> uh, well you just at did so new thing oh yeah. there was the first time <laughs> this is a first in a long line of advertising that <laughs> sweet well thanks so much for listening um if you oh yeah you can find us on twitter too at no gods pod uh, you can email us, nogodspod at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show, you can kill vampires. And you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, parody, parody. 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 In Minecraft. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, vampires kill don't vampires exist. Minecraft. It's fine. Minecraft RPG server. My uh, <laughs> good Christian RPG server. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Just Thank make you, sure night. Morbius gets a third run in the theaters. All right. Yay! Yeah, and also uh, all major politicians are vampires. <laughs> um, just wanna, just as a little addendum.